Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series, held on September 26, 2018, discussing the initial guidance on new limits on executive compensation deductions. The panelists for the webcast were Craig O'Donnell, a PwC tax partner in our Global Human Resources Solutions Practice, Susan Lennon and Sharman Priokes, both managing directors also in our Global Human Resources Solutions Practice, and Bill McAlpine, a managing director in our U.S. Tax Accounting Services Practice. This excerpt consists of a general discussion among the panelists on the transition rules for written binding contracts for Section 162M purposes. Have a listen. Now turn to the second big thing, Susan, which is this written binding contract, so these transition rules under 162M and the grandfathering. Maybe start taking us through that, and we spent a lot of time on this at year end. Yes. Okay, thanks, Craig. As, as Sharman pointed out, we have the old law, we have the new law, and then the, the new legislation provided a transition rule, so a bridge between the old rules and the new rules. And what the transition rules provide is that the new 162M limits don't apply to compensation that's paid under a written binding contract that was in effect on November 2nd, 2017, and that is not materially modified thereafter. So if you have compensation under one of these written binding contracts, the old rules apply. Now, the old rules could say it's still subject to a million dollar limit. So time-based RSUs, time-based restricted stock provided to your CEO was already subject to the million dollar limit. That's not going to change. But qualified performance-based compensation, stock options or other performance-based compensation provided to your CEO, if it would have been excluded under the old law, and you meet this written binding contract and you don't materially modify it, then you can deduct it in 2018 or 2019 going forward, and that million dollar limit doesn't apply. Now what the notice says is that a written binding contract is determined under applicable law. Now for most cases we think that's state law, but then there's a whole bunch of questions as to which state law, and now 162 applies to foreign filers, so is it foreign law that applies. So that's one of the issues that uh, we're looking for some additional clarity. Now, the big issue that we've all been discussing since this legislation was passed is the impact of negative discretion. So negative discretion was very common in 162M plans prior to the tax changes. And what negative discretion says is I've got a qualified performance-based compensation plan. I've got good objective financial goals. If EBITDA is X and earnings per share is Y, the CEO can be paid up to $10 million. And then the compensation committee reserves the right to say, okay, well, you met all the objective goals, but for personal goals or for other reasons, we're going to apply negative discretion to pay you less. Yes, you met the goals, but you're not getting the $10 million. We'll pay you six or two or maybe nothing, depending on the circumstances. And the question has become, you know, does negative discretion taint your ability to claim that you have a written binding contract? Because if the company or if the compensation committee retained the right to go from $10 million to zero, what is my written binding contract you know, provide? Is it 10 million? Is it zero? Is it somewhere in the middle? 
So that has been the big discussion yeah, point. This was massive at year end, yes. right? This is what people debated. And mm -hmm. we, I remember telling people, we don't know the answer. Right. You can make arguments both ways on whether the existence of negative discretion precludes and uh, written by any contract. Now we've got this guidance. My sense is it doesn't solve things. So now it gives us this applicable law standard. So what are people doing in real life? So what do they do armed with this applicable law standard? Are they all calling their law firms and getting answers? Or are they getting a consistent answer? Uh, some and no. Uh, <laughs> what a lot of companies doing, first they're going back to the buckets they did you know, at year end. What do I think is good? You know, is contracts without negative discretion. Often stock options that were qualified performance-based compensation under the old rules don't have uh, negative discretion. Where we saw that more was the performance base where I've got a performance goal that I have to achieve in order to get the compensation. That's where you saw negative discretion. So, you know, companies are going through and, again, bucketing good, definitely good, definitely bad, and questionable. Where the questionable is material, some companies are getting state law opinions. And this might be critical from an accounting standpoint, mm -hmm. right, Bill? Exactly. I mean, these, uh, it, this particular point on negative discretion was uh, a big topic uh, at the end of 2017 for uh, financial statements as how much of these deferred tax assets should be recorded and does negative discretion apply to, uh, to put you in a place where you think you might have to write off some of those deferred assets as, as, as Sharman and Susan have been, have been describing. It's very fact specific. It's, it's state law specific. So you have to put all of those those points into the big blender and, and, and stir it up to say, okay, now do we have a basis for a position where we think these particular items are, are the, these compensation amounts are going to be deductible in a future period. Um, and at the, at the end of any analysis at year end 2017, I think uh, uh, many companies uh, reverted back to a provisional analysis under the staff accounting bullet 118 as part of that, as part of that end result. But they may be pursuing more written opinions now to support yes. Fin 48 and other conclusions that you'll you'll walk us through in a bit. Correct. Got it. Fascinating stuff. All right. So we got negative discretion. How about material modification? Right. So I've got a written binding contract in effect on November second, twenty seventeen. I've determined there was no material modif. There's no negative discretion. How long do I get to to take advantage of this? You lose this grandfathering status if you materially modify your contract. And a material modification under the notice occurs when a contract is amended to increase the compensation payable. Uh, now, let's say I've got a, a grant that goes on for several years. I've deducted under the, tra the, the transition rule in prior years. Now I materially modify it. I don't go back and say, oh, well, not the million dollar limit would have applied. I get grandfathered status until I materially modify, and thereafter the, con the compensation would be subject to the million dollar limit. Uh, a couple more things on material modification. There's no material modification if you create a supplemental contract if that additional compensation isn't paid on the same same elements or same conditions. So on one hand, you can't just create a mirror plan to what your grandfathered plan was and add more compensation to that. Those two are likely going to be merged and your original contract is going to be treated as materially modified. But if you, it, it's not going to stop companies from giving different types of compensation grants now. So just something to think about 
as you're structuring new plans, you know, keep an eye on what you've grandfathered and, you know, just make sure that the, the ties there aren't too tight. You can provide for reasonable cost of living under an existing grandfathered arrangement. That's okay. Uh, if you accelerate payment of compensation under a grandfathered arrangement and you discount that to reflect time value of money, that's okay. And if you take grandfather compensation and you defer payment, if that increase in the compensation due to the deferral is based on a reasonable rate of return or predetermined actual investment, that's okay too. Um, and interestingly, the notice says that a material modification doesn't exist if you don't exercise negative discretion. So, uh, okay, so grandfathered, not grandfathered. When does it end? When your contract is renewed, it's treated as a new contract. And at that point, your grandfather status ends. So if the corporation can cancel or terminate an agreement then at will, then in general, that contract is treated as terminated on November 2nd, 2017, because the corporation could have canceled it on November 3rd. So at that point, when the company can cancel it, then that's treated as a new contract from thereafter. Uh, automatic, you know, we also see, uh, often see like automatic extensions to renew employment agreements. And this is important with the CFO because the CFO was not subject to 162M. So the CFO got a lot of grants that would have been subject to the million dollar limit had it been given to the CEO. When we look at the CFO's compensation, especially, you know, the ability to just automatically renew a contract, I have a three-year employment contract that just automatically renews, you'll get the original term of the contract, but you're not going to get a renewal. So the CFO has been interesting. So that's one that they've sometimes have a contract that gives them a salary into the future too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so in some cases, that salary could be grandfathered under these rules, it could right? Be, yeah. And then depending what the renewal terms are, right, that could get shut off at some point, right? Yeah, I've gotten a lot of questions from companies asking why that's so, and they're only thinking of the performance-based compensation exception being grandfathered. And what the transition rule actually says is that it's any changes made by the new law that get eligible for grandfathering, which includes the addition of the CFO. Interesting. Okay, just a fast example. I don't have as many colorful characters as Charmin. The other half of the alphabet on the yeah. screen. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in, back to October 2017. The law has not been enacted. Transition rules hadn't begun to be thought about. Company executes a three-year employment agreement with uh, an individual for an annual salary of a million dollars, you know, beginning on January 1st, 2018, plus 100% performance bonus. This individual is the PFO, the CFO for 18, 19, and 20 for the, the, those three years. Um, so then, the, the question is. You know, is any of that grandfathered because it all starts in 2018? Well, the individual had a written binding contract in effect on November 2nd, 2017 in his capacity as CFO. So uh, those amounts would uh, be subject to the old law. The million dollar, excuse me, the 100% the bonus 
is going to depend on the terms of that bonus plan. So um, once we're past 2020, if the contract is renewed, then it's clearly subject to the new rules. Uh, one thing I just wanted to mention with companies, if you've got amounts that you think are qualified performance-based compensation, you need to continue to apply the old rules. So for qualified performance-based compensation, one of the requirements was that the compensation committee had to certify that goals were met before they could pay that compensation. That requirement still exists. So we may be in 2020 and paying these amounts out. You need that compensation committee, the compensation committee, the, needs to meet the requirements of the old rules, and that committee has to certify the amount that the goals were met. So don't forget all the old rules while we're transitioning to the new Yeah, goals. that's a great point. People skip over that. The whole point of grandfathering isn't to cleanse everything permanently for all reasons. It just mm -hmm. puts you in the old rules. Right. And so people, I used that CFO example before about somebody having a salary get grandfathered. That's because the CFO wasn't grandfathered under the old rules. What wasn't a covered employee under the old rules? Right. A CEO would have been. So I've had clients say, oh, the CEO's salary was pursuant to a written binding contract, therefore it's exempt. It's not exempt from anything. They were still mm -hmm. subject to the old rules, still pull that in under 162M mm -hmm. if they're employed at year end. Mm -hmm. So There's also value in continuing with all the formalities of the old 162M plan if you're in a state that doesn't follow the current federal right. tax code. Good point. And if you're material, if you've got material numbers in that state, it might be worth it to keep going with your old 162M rules just to keep that deduction there. Right. Good point. I've got a question that comes up quite a bit. So you've got this grandfathered money. And so let's say somebody has a non-qualified deferred comp plan that has some good grandfathered money in it. It's got pursuant to a written binding contract. But that non-qualified deferred comp plan still has new accruals into it going forward. So it's going to have new monies that aren't grandfathered. How are people dealing with that administratively? It seems like you've got a bucket of money that could end up having some good and some bad. How are people in real life tackling that? Right. Well, one thing that the, the IRS has been stressing in meetings is that they're looking you know, five years, 10 years down the road. Can you prove that these amounts were subject to the grandfathering? And when you have one plan, you've got one bucket of money, you know, one payment to the CEO upon retirement. How much of that's grandfathered and how much isn't? So, uh, you know, companies are beginning to set programs in place to be able to track these dollars. So maybe you've got a separate account. We saw this when 409A was enacted. We have grandfathered amounts. We've got 409A amounts. And now we'll have grandfathered 162M amounts and, you know, new rules 162M amounts. So it's important, you know, get your books in line, figure out your tax deduction, but look forward. If I've got grandfathered amounts, how am I going to track? How am I going to prove to the IRS that I'm, you know, a able to exclude that from the million right. dollars. Do things to make it easy not mm -hmm. to screw it up right. at the mm -hmm. end of the day is what it comes down right. to. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the participants. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you.